G'day everyone. Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Code 9. I'm your host Tiffany Cook and today I am speaking to an incredible guest. Her name is Lisa Hardiman. She is a police commander for Victoria Police. She has been in the service for 38 years. In 2017, Lisa was inducted into the Victoria Police Sporting Hall of Fame. In 2018, she was awarded the Australia Police Medal. And this year, Lisa was awarded with AFL Life Membership for her 40 years of contribution to the women's AFL. She is amazing. We have an incredible chat today about football and policing and life. And I think you might just be a little bit inspired. Lisa Hardiman, APM, she tells me, welcome. Welcome to this show. It is such a pleasure to, to meet you and speak with you. Thank you, Tiffany. You're very welcome. Of course, we were introduced very briefly by the wonderful Mark Thomas. And I had a bit of a scout, had a bit of a scout online and thought, let's have a look at this amazing woman. And wow, you've done a thing or two. Um, I've packed a fair bit into uh, the life so far uh, in a number of fronts, so both policing and, and sporting wise. Yeah, I love I love the intersection of the two. So this is going to be a really awesome chat. Which one Which one hooked you in first? Well, I suppose if I go way back, I was the only girl in a family of boys, so two brothers, three cousins, so had to play boys' games or play my own. So my grandfather taught all of us how to play footy. So um, my love of footy, I think, goes back to being um, a young girl um, and our family were football fanatics following what was then Footscray. But then, as we all know, young girls couldn't play football, so... um, I went off into a, a netball career and played in a couple of um, state underage um, teams with netball and then joined the police force when I was um, 22. When I left school to join the police force, if you're a boy, you could be 18 and a half, but a girl had to be 21, so I had to go and work for a couple of years before joining the police force. Did that infuriate you? It did. I, I wondered uh, at the time why boys were so much more special than girls that they could join at a younger age. But I went and worked in um, a bank and I think in hindsight that uh, customer service focus of banks really put me in um, a good position of, as far as being able to speak to anybody in the community regardless of um, their their status in life. Uh, also taught me to be a little bit resilient as uh, boss working in the bank. I got held up twice at gunpoint. Oh, wow. Lucky you far out. <laughs> how, how, in two years, did you say? No, no. I got a, uh, Whilst I was working in the bank, I got held up in, twice um, at two different occasions. Bloody hell. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe maybe that gave me the resilience to uh, to join the police force and to be in it as long as I have. Yeah, well, it's really interesting the the age difference for for men and women joining the force. But obviously, when w- women at that time were were quite new, I guess you would want to be kind of ready for whatever was going to be thrown at you. So it kind of half makes sense. Much as I hate to say it. <laughs> yes, and it, it, it was really interesting because in that in that time, um, by the time I'd reapplied it when I, I turned twenty one, they dropped the age to, for it to be the same. So it, it, they did change in those couple of years. Yeah. Um, but they still had this idea about um, recruiting um, people with life experience as opposed to school leavers. Um, and I think it's for that you've got to be ready for anything in the police. Yeah, for sure. What was um what was it like? For a female, for yourself back then, 
Well, it was um, that police women weren't, there weren't a lot of us. Uh, there was a lot of policemen who would refuse to work with me because I was a woman and they felt like that they would have to be my protector. So, you know, most police women went to a station where they were the only female that mm. was there, which meant that you had to really uh, prove yourself to be worthy of um, the boys in the boys club. Yeah, yeah. And when did you, so there's such a tight, like you've done a lot of your sporting in conjunction with the police force. There's such a link there. Tell me about that. Yes, absolutely. So um, when uh, when I was first in the academy, I was playing state league netball and um, uh, when I graduated as well. So I had to try and work my rosters around training and playing games and which I was able to do relatively well. And it was through netball and one of my netball colleagues who coincidentally worked with me that saw an ad in the newspaper about um, women's footy. Up until th- that stage, I didn't even know it existed. So that that whole sort of netball and policing did cross over to enlighten me to a league of women playing football. Yeah, and you've been a real, um, I guess, trailblazer in that space. I mean, you've got a medal named after you. I do. The Lisa Hardiman medal um, in the VFLW grand final. Uh, there's also um, the Hanson Hardy Cup, which was played for when the AFL started the uh, exhibition games between the Western Bulldogs and Melbourne. And yeah. when those two teams play, they still play for that cup. Yeah. Do you reckon over your course of policing, the sport has, like, how do you think that has helped you? Because I feel like there's a multitude of ways where that, I guess, in dealing with, you know, resilience and training, physical and mental health, processing of emotions and circumstances that you've been through and seen and hierarchy and teammates. I'd love to hear a little bit about what you think you pulled from sport and that served you well as a police officer. Absolutely. So I think, um, you know, certainly being a a woman in policing, you had to um, jump hurdles and and I'm not talking about the physical ones. I'm talking about the hurdles of acceptance they're having to work twice as hard to be recognised as a legitimate police officer. You know, that whole uh, not thinking that you could be promoted beyond a very low level because, you know, the whole thing about you can't be what you can't see. Uh, so I think a lot of, um, of of the policing really supported me when I started in the football environment because, once again, uh, it was a very male-dominated environment. I was told that women don't play football, women can't play football. Uh, when I was the president uh, at one stage and we were, we were growing the game, I went to then um, Australian, uh, the Victoria Football League, uh, and said, can you give us some support just around administration and around growing the game? They showed me the door and said we'd never be big enough for them to worry about. So that's some of the similarities, I suppose, the, the trying to climb the, the mountain in, in a man's world is was very similar in, in both policing and football. Yeah. What have we done well in that space, in the space of, I guess, let's talk about women's footy. What have we done really well or what is the sport doing, done or doing well at the moment to grow it? Uh, absolutely. So, so I think what happened was we struggled a lot through the 90s, early 90s, and we started to find out that there were other states playing. So we identified South Australia initially. 
So in about 1992, we did alternate trips between South Australia and Victoria. So that started an interstate competition, which then sparked some interest in the local environment. Although as president, we had four teams and, you know, we'd think we were just about to grow the game and, and we couldn't. So I started up a second level of competition so that new clubs and new players weren't coming in playing established clubs with, you know, state players and all those sorts of things. So it started to grow the game at a, at a different level. And, and I think that, and then um, when Barb was over as the president of WA and I was the president of Victoria and we, we got together and started the absolute interstate carnival where other states, West, we identified other states uh, and built that up to then become um, something that women could aim for as players and, and coaches and administrators and those sorts of things. So um, it was sort of the late 90s into the early 2000s that we really changed women's footy. We then were lucky during that time that the most amazing Sue Alberti came along and became a, a very big supporter, uh, both vocally and uh, financially. She supported women's footy for a long time from her own wealth. Uh, and we also had Debbie Lee, uh, who had been a, an amazing player and coach and um, state c- captain and those sorts of things, who moved into um, footy administration. So she was playing for the Melbourne Footy Club. Sue Alberti was the vice president of Western Bulldogs Footy Club. And they were constantly in the year of Gil McLaughlin about, hey, have a, an exhibition game. Um, and so he did. Uh, he supported it and the board supported it. And that was the change. So once they started the exhibition games, then at one of the games, Gil McLaughlin got up and said, I did say it was going to be 2021. It's now going to be 2017. We're going to have a competition. So that it was having lots of really strong women in the ear of the man who was going to make the decision. Yes. Yeah. I love that. It's really interesting. I do, I've done quite a bit of boxing. And when I first started, I'd started my boxing in the, that kind of corporate event space, uh, doing challenge fights. And what struck me as really interesting at the time was there weren't a lot of, there's a lot more in, in that area now of women fighting and a lot more women getting into boxing regardless, which is really great to see, but there just weren't a lot. And it was interesting kind of saying to your family and to come along and watch you box and a lot of people not wanting to, you know, they weren't super receptive to seeing women fighting girls, girls jumping in the ring, punching each other, but on the night, when all the fights were happening, it was it was often the case that the feedback I would hear was how much they loved, how much, I guess, the, the girls were so technical. And it, it's a very, it was different when you're looking at that really beginner level of boxing and it's just a completely different style of boxing and people were really commenting on how technical and great the women were to watch fight. And it's it just highlights how... You know, it's interesting and and hard to know how do we market something? How do we build it? How do we, you know, we start something as a female? I was 29 starting in that sport. So the skill development, it's a completely different playing field. And, I mean, we saw, I guess it's very much the same with football. You've got all ages of women coming in as adults, starting a game and developing skill 
and popping them on a field and it's different to watch. It's different to whole different thing playing yeah. out. And that's a lot of the, the people that I hear who criticise women's football, they expect it to look like the men. Now, the, the, the men's football has been going at least 100 years longer than the women's football. They're built differently. They have different skills and attributes. The women are building their own game. So if you go along or you're sitting a lounge and you watch a women's game and you expect it to look like one of the games from last weekend, well, then you're never going to love it. So you've got to look at it through the same eyes as the boxing. Um, if you look at the boxing through a men's boxing match and expect the women to go out and do the same thing, it's not going to happen because we're different. We're built different. We think different. We act different. Yeah. My my uh, football career ended in just checking out one training session and about uh, 15, 20 minutes in I dislocated, double dislocated my ring finger and was <laughs> chucked off to oh, emergency. No. So I never gave the game too much of a nudge. But I think what would interest me, I don't watch a lot of football either way, so in terms of understanding skill and the technical side of the game, I don't have a lot of um, and a lot of knowledge there, but I would be interested to see how, as women evolve and the female game evolves, seeing what the fundamental difference is around that team interaction, because that fascinates me, like sporting ability and skills, but then also the culture of a team and dynamics of a team. And I think that's it comes across to me as one of the main differences between men and women is how we interact and connect and communicate. And surely, I mean, what does that already play out quite differently on the field? Um, I think so. It's like I was um, involved with the Western Bulldogs in their first year um, as sort of a bit of a mentor, bringing the past into the present. And I still have a fair bit to do with a lot of the girls. And I think one of the biggest differences is the girls are just so thankful that they're allowed to play the game. Yeah. You know, for men, because their game's been around for so long, it was just like, oh, well, yeah, if I'm good enough, I'm just going to go into the AFL and I'm going to have a career where there's a lot of the girls who are like, oh, I've been given this opportunity and I'm so grateful for it. That, I think, builds this camaraderie that, that you see on the ground with the girls. Yeah. And they're absolute, one of the, their, their desire to get the ball, you know, like they'll run through brick walls to get the ball and just be part of it. And I think, you know, that may change over time, but that's certainly one of the things um, that I think is is really different at the moment is they are so grateful that they're allowed to play the game because yes. for so long we weren't allowed to. Yeah, yeah. I'm also interested in in terms of the police force and the workforce. What do you think women bring to that space? We bring a different thinking to to the men. It, it's still very much a male dominated workplace. In that, I think we still only make up about thirty three percent or something like that. Yeah, it's a lot bigger than when I first joined. Um, but we. We bring a softer, in an operational perspective, a softer perspective and, and an ability generally to be able to talk our way through situations as opposed to reacting in other ways. There's really things that I've seen. I think now that we're in uh, higher ranking positions, uh, I think you see a 
different way that the organisation is being run, um, and especially since the Victorian Equ Opportunity and Human Rights Commission report in relation to sexual harassment and bullying you know, in the police force that came out a number of years ago. There's been a real focus on diversity in the in Victoria Police about making policing more flexible to allow more women to stay in the organisation uh, as opposed to, um, you know, making them uh, leave once they have children and et cetera. We have a number of employee networks. We've got an LGBTIQ network, an Aboriginal network, a cold network, a Muslim network, a Jewish network, a disability network, um, so that we can actively support people who don't identify as the majority of the of the community. So um, we, if you had asked me a few years ago, would we have had all these supports available for employees? Um, my answer would have been no, but um, it's embracing diversity. Victoria Police has done that. So good to hear. What's been, what was, I mean, you're quite high ranking. You're a commander, is that correct? Yes, I am. Yep. What was your career progression like and what was what was the pinnacle of it and what were the challenges? Um, so when I first joined, as I said before, you know, I didn't think I would progress through the organisation very much at all. I, I had an aspiration to become a detective uh, and I thought that would be the end of my career. I did become a detective, which turned out to be one of the worst periods of my career. I worked for a sergeant who didn't think women um, should be a detective, let alone, no, they, who didn't think they should be in the police force and they definitely shouldn't have been a detective. So I was completely excluded from every activity in the office. Uh, and so I left there and I thought, that's it, that's my career. So I became a prosecutor and played in the courts for a while, which was worked in really well with my footy because I found footy by that stage. So working in the, as, as a prosecutor was Monday to Friday. So I was able to get to training. I was able to play play games on the weekend. Mm. So I had my my work and my my football that were singing nicely. Then uh, I sort of started to see some more women get promoted into the rank of sergeant. So I thought I'll have a have a go and never thought I'd do that. And then luckily for me, I um, whilst I was a sergeant, I I did my, my a mentor identified me and um, started to give me some career advice. And um, my career, I think, really took off. Uh, I became a senior sergeant. Then Christine Nixon became our chief commissioner. And all of a sudden, there was a, a level playing field around women getting promoted because before that, there was a dribble of women becoming commissioned officers. Christine came along and she was like, open your eyes. There are, you know, lots of really good women that are out there. Uh, and she did encourage, she, she never handpicked people out or anything like that, but she encouraged us all to, to really start to have a look at where you'd like to be. So under Christine, I became uh, an inspector had uh, a few different positions there. I, one of my spots was down at Port Phillip where um, I'd never worked 
an entertainment precinct like that um, that has, a, you know, 300,000 people in one day at the St Kilda Festival, the second biggest New Year's Eve outside of the CBD and this little race called the Grand Prix. And so it was all really, really different and eye-opening and it was like, oh, wow, this is a different policing. So it's sort of an example of um, I, I've done most of my, my policing in the western suburbs and then I get sent to a, a area that's completely different. I have to retrain myself about policing differently and policing to different communities. So then um, under Graham Ashton, I became a, a superintendent and then um, a commander. And for part of my time as a commander, I was Graham Ashton's chief of staff for the last 12 months of, of his um, chief commissionership. In terms of what I th as you were speaking now, I was just thinking in terms of when you spoke about um, policing to different communities, that's really interesting. What are some of the skills that we might not think are imperative that, that you realised maybe on the job or when you started or, you know, when you had to change to different roles or different places, what were the skills that you realised are really important for a police officer? I think the most important one that has carried me through my career is communication. If you don't continually work on your communication skills and continue to develop them, you'll really struggle because yeah. it doesn't matter what part of community you are, you need to be able to try and communicate with them. The other big thing, and it's something that I never realised until much later in my career, is some people naturally do it, but is it respect for human rights? So whenever you're dealing with a member of the community, I think you've got to have human rights at the top of the tree. And then from there, as long as you are looking after that person's human rights, you then start to work through each of the steps that you need. So my current role, I have an area called priority communities. So under sitting under me is Aboriginal youth, seniors, LGBTIQ, disability victims and human rights. And multicultural, I forgot about multicultural. So every different part of the community, we do a lot of the community engagement at stakeholder level, government level, but we also provide the most current advice to frontline police. And a lot of that is around the communication. How do you communicate with somebody with a disability? You know, what are, what's some of the their human rights that you need to consider um, before you dismiss what they're trying to say or you make up your own mind about what they're trying to say. So it's all about that understanding which part of the community they're from and how you can best support them. Mm. That must be challenging, especially in times I'm, I'm thinking about your early days when you're really pushing against resistance to be in this workforce and be accepted as a female and, and prove yourself and go to all of these lengths for acceptance and then coming up against personality types and needing to be to how like how do you self-manage? How do you manage whatever's going on for you and keep that aside out of the out of the interaction? Yeah, and I think if you're talking about the, the sporting component, the self-discipline of sport yes. really yeah. comes into play in the in the policing environment. It's it's self-discipline, self-motivation, but um, it's about how do I need to behave in this particular situation to be able to get myself through it? Yeah. 
whether that's something within the workplace or whether that's, you know, confronting the angry person on the street that's, you know, trying to knock my block off. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I think if, when you're looking at that crossover uh, between policing and, and sport, mm. because if if you don't have the self-discipline to keep yourself fit for sport, to keep yourself fit for work, uh, if you don't have the self-discipline to to turn up to training on time and and do your best at training on the footy field and, and taking back to the netball court as well. You don't have the self-discipline to, to turn up at 7 o'clock in the morning for the day shift or turn up at 11 o'clock at night for the, the night shift and, and to do your best for the people that are around you because when you're in a police station you're and you've got a shift for the day, you're a team. Yeah. So there might be five of you or six of you for that particular shift, but you have to behave like a team for that shift to, to get the best out of it. Yeah. Um, so that's a really good crossover, I think, between sport and, and policing for me. Yeah. And you mentioned having a mentor earlier. Was the mentor somebody within the police force as well? Yes. And is mentor something that most police officers have? Is that something you always had or is was that kind of along the way? No, it was along the way for me. It's something I, I hadn't had because I honestly didn't think I'd get beyond being a sergeant. Yeah. Um, but luckily for me, um, my paths crossed with um, a female who had just become an inspector and uh, I think she spotted talent in me that, you know, I didn't know it was there because I hadn't had those expectations. So what she did was challenge me to think beyond mm. the job that I was doing at that time. She encouraged me to go to uni I'd never been to uni so she encouraged me to go to university and get a degree which I did I got a master's degree which gave me a different level of thinking to to what I thought that I would have had what was um, the master's degree in organizational leadership yeah wow so playing sport doing a doing a degree and being a police officer yes you're a busy lady impeccable Um, time management yeah but you know when you're busy with all those different things um it 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 just kept going and it's like I suppose that's part of the motivational stuff isn't it it's about making sure that you um, have time for everything that you're doing and and you fit it in yeah well looking back on your career now what do you what do you know that you wish you knew earlier or what would you there was an age you could go back to yourself and and tell yourself something. When would that be, and what would it be? Um, well, I think career wise, I, I I wish that uh, I could have stood up to um, some of the bullies earlier in my career. Yeah, but I just knew then back then that had I done that, that my career would have been severely limited and I probably wouldn't still be here. Yeah. I really look forward to the respectful workplaces in the organisation continuing to improve. So after, as I said before, the very off report, there was a huge focus on driving bullies out of this organisation and um, we're doing well in that. And if I go back to a... if. I could take myself back to a young police officer who was joining in the last, you know, 10 years. I think 
their their career options are so much greater. They have they're allowed to dream, they're allowed to see, they're allowed to do. So if I could be my younger self in in this time, and I think that would uh, be really different. But yeah, just being able to, and a lot of since I started to to get promoted, I've then become mentors to a lot of women to help them work their their way through their career aspirations. Mm. Thinking of women joining now, if any of them, anybody's listening, what would your advice be to females that wanted to get into the police force now? Do it. it it's there. Uh, there's a recruitment campaign on at the moment, uh, so I don't, you may or may not have heard some of the ads. We're trying to recruit 520 new police officers and, and 50 new PSOs um, that the government's given us, plus where we've got uh, higher attrition numbers because a lot of people who thought about retiring during the pandemic held off until the pandemic was over. So uh, we're recruiting a lot of people at the moment. It's, it's the sort of job where, and as I've experienced, you can have a number of different jobs in the one organisation. Mm. So everybody starts on the van, but then nobody's career after that is, is the same as anybody else's. You can specialise, you can go into forensics, uh, you can come into the corporate environment like I'm in now, emergency management, highway patrol. You know, there's there's so many different options for females and so many opportunities to progress through the ranks uh, if, if you want to, if, whatever you want to do, you can do it. And the flexibility now is so much greater for, for young women. Mm. What's next? What do you, like, where where do you next want to have impact? You've had impact. You've had so much impact, both in sporting and policing, but tell me about that. So in policing, um, my impact is uh, at the moment trying to, to improve the way in which we relate to our priority communities, um, doing a lot of work in that space. So that is my, my short-term priority here. Uh, I'm probably getting to the age where I need to consider life after policing and what does that look like? So, uh, you know, I think uh, that's certainly one of the, the areas that uh, before you walk away from here, you need to have an understanding about what it is you're doing next. Yeah, uh, I don't know what that is yet. So that's um, a really interesting because identity can really shape us. Our our career can really shape us in terms of identity, but so can our sport. And you've you've had such an identity in both. So that will be an interesting um, time for you. Yes. Yeah, so I'm really lucky that um, Nicole Livingston, who runs women's football with the AFL, and Gil McLaughlin have embraced women's footy so much. And I had the honour season one last year, because last year they had two seasons in one year to try and work out where women's footy slots in. So season one last year, um, I was the AFLW Premiership Cup ambassador. So got to present the cup to um, over in Adelaide, to Adelaide in April last year. Uh, and then... Uh, the Thursday before the season started, uh, I was awarded life membership of the AFL, not AFLW, as somebody told me, uh, but of the AFL. Um, and uh, I believe I'm only the fourth woman to have been given that honour. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So wow. all that work I did way back that started in the 80s and through the 90s and into the 2000s as a coach, player, um, president, 
luckily for us, Nicole Livingston has embraced all of our history and is now starting to um, recognise um, the, the pioneers of, of women's football. You must just sit back and pinch yourself, do you? <laughs> yes, I do, actually. And, and if you're looking at, you know, the question before about your younger self, when when I started playing in 1988, running around having a kick, firstly, I thank my grandfather for teaching me how to play all those years ago. Yes. But, you know, none of us ever thought that we would have an AFLW team competition None of us ever thought that women would be playing professionally, coaching professionally. So when I look back at a lot of those people that were around me back then, it's such an honour to those sorts of people that that we continue to fight and and we got where, where we are now. Imagine how proud he would be knowing what he started. Who was that? Your grandfather. Oh, my grandfather? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, just think what teaching you to have a kick way back when and see where you've come now. And, oh, and the impact that that's had on an entire, you know, the the sport of a nation, essentially. Yeah, um, my grandfather came along to one of the grand finals um, that I was playing in. And uh, first half, we weren't doing so well. And I was the captain of the team at the time. And as I'm walking off, he's giving me this lecture on the sideline about pull your socks up and what we needed to do and how we needed to do it. And and I'm like, yeah, yeah, Pop, no worries. Anyway, we come out and won the game. So I think he took credit for that win. Oh, what a legend. I love it. Oh, mate, you've been amazing. Do you have anywhere that you, if people want to follow you, find you? Probably not because you're a competitor. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not on social media because of uh, my job. Um so the, the AFL, when they announced the, the life membership, they did um, a post under the AFLW website. But uh, I'm on LinkedIn. If anybody wants to send me a message on LinkedIn, that's a more of a professional page. But, no, it's uh, it's one of those things where all of this has happened and I, I managed to still um, sweep under the carpet and, and <laughs> uh, don't tend to pop my head up too much. Well, you're the polar opposite to me. I pop my head up everywhere, so I'll pop it up on your behalf. And if there's any, any women listening that want to get in and have a game of footy and get amongst that, where do you point them to? How do they get started? Uh, absolutely. So um, in addition to obviously the AFLW taking off, every local club pretty much has women's teams. So if there's a footy field near you, rock on down there. You'll see the girls training at some stage. You can uh, uh, speak to the, the managing competition so you know whether it's southern metro or whatever they are um there are teams and especially junior teams there are junior girls teams everywhere so if you've got a younger person in your life and and they want to get around and have a kick um oz kick they're mixed oz kicks now um the girls uh start from a younger age and they go all the way up to masters so a couple of friends of mine that i used to run around with back in the 80s and 90s uh are still playing masters so you can play from any age Oh, this is so good. And my personal advice is if you're going to catch the ball, soft hands. Soft hands. Soft hands, soft hands are good. <laughs> Lisa, thank you so much. It's really been an honour and a pleasure to speak to you today. Thanks, Tiffany. It's been a great uh, afternoon talking to you too. Awesome. Thanks, everyone.